here respected. Expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Dream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your office. Coolest, coolest show you know for hip hop calls. Hey, Wawa, how are you? Doing all right. How are you? I'm doing great. It's so good to see you. Uh, actually, I uh, I saw you on Clubhouse. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I saw your name at the bottom. I was like, oh my goodness, this is a great guest. There it is. So you're, are you doing your environmental activism on Clubhouse? Is that working in between the Joe Buttons and the... Uh, 21 Savage on there? You know, a couple of friends and I were just talking about how there have there, there weren't many conversations on Clubhouse talking about Black people and environmentalism. So we just made that group the day before and have just been having random conversations. And the most interesting characters come in and we talk about Black sustainability, environmentalism. It's really fun. No, I love that. I love the fact that you're using clubhouse to spread the good the good news are you using other social media platforms as well yes so um that particular gathering was by black girl environmentalists and we pretty much exist on instagram right now but we are looking on expanding to other formats but for now instagram seems to be the best way to connect with uh other folks in this virtual time Nah, that's for sure well, let's get right into it. I mean, I think I just hopped into Let me give you a bio, make it official right here uh, on The Coolest Show. So I'm super excited to have, uh, I'm going to say your first name correct, too. Wajuko, is that correct? Yeah, you did it. There we go. <laughs> well, better known as BKA, a.k.a. known as Wawa. Uh, Gatheru, and you are a 21-year-old environmental justice advocate who is so passionate about creating a more inclusive environmental movement. You are the founder of Black Girl Environmentalists and an emerging climate writer. Um, your bylines have been in Vice News, Glamour Magazines, and you have been doing so many good things just writing about the climate and the environmental justice movement. Wawa is also the first Black person in history to receive the Rhodes the Truman, and the Udall Scholarship. So congratulations on that. Thank you. So before we get all into it, who is Wawa Gatheru? Who is Wawa? So that's a really great question. Um, I would say that you encompassed, I guess, the professional part of me. But I think perhaps the most important parts about me are the fact that I'm a daughter. I'm a sister. Mm. My sisters mm. are my best friends, my soulmates. Um I'm a friend. How many do you have? I have two sisters and one brother. Okay. So I just missed him on accident. Love you, Brian. So, <laughs> so, so your brother's no soulmate. You know, he's, he's up there. He's up there. But, you know, us girls understand each other in a different way. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a student. I mean, I am a grad student right now at the University of Oxford. But more importantly, even though, uh, you know, everyone says this, but it's true. We're all students of life. And I am learning um, every single day from people like you and other folks in this movement. And I'm always excited to have conversations with other Black people invested in ensuring that our climate is, our climate future centers our lives. Wow. No, that's what's up. Are you enjoying Oxford? It's been really interesting. So I'm actually not there physically right now because mm -hmm. international students that 
came back home for break are not being allowed to go back on campus until, quote, mid-February, which we're not even sure about because the UK government doesn't have a set end to the lockdown. So the week and a half of non-lockdown, non-isolation that I had in Oxford, though I was there for two months, only a week and a half outside my room, was very nice. Oxford is a very cute town. (laughs) (laughs) I know, like... I like how you put that. I got I to gotta connect you. So here at Hip Hop Caucus, we have Think 100%, which is our climate platform. And in that platform, we have something called Think 100% Films, mm-hmm. and which does documentaries and different things, uh, short films around the climate. Well, the one who actually runs that is called Mystic. Her, her government name is Madeline. But she now runs State One Percent Films. But she went to Oxford. She actually, uh, yeah, yeah. Mystic's she's got an amazing story, and she, uh, she um, was there with Tupac in the Bay, and then uh, was rapping. Has is Grammy nominated, and then um, wow. and then she went to uh, UC Berkeley, and then she went to Oxford, and now she's doing State One Percent Films. So definitely, and she actually interesting because she said I mean, she said it was very. I mean, it was I mean, obviously. She was loved her experience, but being from the Bay and being an activist, she found it to be sometimes cold, actually, um, or just very cold as in as, people or weather. Cold as, as in academicy, as a new word. <laughs> but cold, cold in that regard, meaning that it was a place where everybody was striving very hard. To do well yeah. in the in the academic arena, um, did you feel that way as well? Did you did you get that sense, or did you do you feel like it was just all all woman fuzzy? You know, it's 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 hard for me to answer that just because my, I feel like my experience has been so untraditional. I don't know Oxford very well yet, mm. but I would say that from talking to my other friends and other programs, there is a cutthroat culture there. That's what she said. My that, program, was that, was, that was it. That was like that was it. That was it. That was it. I think I got really lucky with my program. My program has been really, really invested in community care, and it's really not a very cutthroat situation. In fact, people share their notes all the time. For those of us that are not in GMT time right now, folks have been sharing their notes because our classes are at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. because we're still supposed to you know, log in, and sometimes it's just way too early. So that hasn't been my experience per se, but I would say walking around sometimes, I've definitely felt out of place. I mean, there aren't many Black people, um, there aren't many Black Americans on top of that. So it's, it's, it's an interesting place. It looks really, really nice. That's <laughs> the thing that I can say for sure. It's very picturesque. And um, yeah. But I think if you were to ask me a year from now, when I've spent more time in Oxford, I could probably give you a more layered explanation of how I feel about the place. So it's definitely Instagram ready. So for sure. For sure. <laughs> and uh, we got to work on the other parts of it. But no, I've actually heard great things about Oxford. and uh, But congratulations on that. And how does that then go into your, your worldview? Because clearly you are this doing some amazing things uh, regarding the environment and what you're trying to do um, in that sphere. So what does the environment mean to you? And, you know, how is it what you're doing now going to help you um, push that out to the world? So I, my understanding of the environment is 
is absolutely directly tied to the environmental justice understanding and that framing of the environment being literally everything, the places that we eat, the places that we sleep, the places that we pray. Obviously, it does include, you know, traditional green space and nature and wilderness, but it's also, also the places where we take care of ourselves. And I think particularly as a Black woman, when I think of my environmental health, I think of my hair care, my skin care as well, especially since for us, there are a lot of companies that particularly market themselves towards Black women or people with kinkier hairstyles and um, have environmental hazards in them. And that hasn't really been a conversation that people have. And so my understanding of the environment is including all the different things that impact my health, my community's health, and really ensuring that that is at the forefront of the way that we understand environment. I feel like the mainstream environmental movement's understanding of the environment has been really, like, adheres to this woods and water understanding of environment, which is valid. That is obviously a part of the environment, but there has been a stark contrast in which environments haven't been prioritized, and I don't feel like my body, which is my temple, has been included in that definition. Mm. So at my time at Oxford, uh, my research is actually looking at some of the understudied barriers that exist for youth of color, particularly Black youth, to participate in environmental education. And right now I'm focusing on colorism as being a barrier and the fact that um, some youth may not want to spend extended amounts of time outside in environmental ed or outdoor recreation because colorism is prevalent in our communities and is something that um, does serve as a barrier, but has never been formally you know, researched. Wow. So I feel as though I'm trying to utilize the resources that I have at this ivory prestigious tower to really funnel um, you know, research and ensure that programs that are geared towards getting more folks of color in environmental spaces are cognizant of the things that keep us out in the first place. Wow, that is fascinating. I love that. And so, and I and I agree with you. I, so you said so much that I just want to get into. So first, I'll start with you just how you ended in the colorism and that aspect of how that can be hindering us from being in the environmental movement and the climate justice movement. Um, so I wrote an article um, that dealt with the uh, the term uh, brown finance um, about how yeah <laughs> and how they were people were saying it, and then they kind of forgot that they're people who are brown people. So I said, well, let's stop using the term brown as meaning dirty. Um, if you want to use a term, I mean, if you want to use colors, then use gray, but just use dirty to be honest. Use dirty dirty finance, or, or you know, in that aspect, and so. I've gotten some wins from that, but it was like, they were like, it was just amazing how they were like, they didn't even connect the dots to that. Like they were just like, many folks like, wow, I, wow, you never would have thought about that. You never would have thought about that. <laughs> I mean, my goodness. So, and and, and it's interesting, it was actually a lot of folks who were in the UK who were using the term brown finance much more mm-hmm. than over here. So I was actually happy to see a lot of folks over in the UK um, saying that they would stop using the term brown um, as a negative aspect to uh, fossil fuels. But in that, you're, you're using that only not only from the terminology aspect, but you're saying that there's a, there's a barrier within the colorism too as well. So explain that. Well, I think it's important 
and I, and it's so interesting that you actually said exactly what I would have said myself and the fact that people aren't able to make the connections because they don't live them. Mm. That's what happens when the climate slash environmental space, the mainstream space is predominantly white. That means a lot of the solutions that are then created are framed around a certain experience. Mm. And my research and the things that I want to do at Oxford and beyond are 100% impacted by my own experience. You know, I am a darker skinned black woman and growing up, I got comments all the time about my skin tone. I remember when I started to get into my teens and get older, especially at a time where I was so sensitive to comments that people would make about my appearance, particularly, I'd have you know family members, well-intentioned family members say, hey, Wawa, don't spend too much time outside. You know, you'll get a little darker. People won't like you, mm. X, Y, Z. And I remember it impacting the activities that I was doing. I was um, a little baby track star. wasn't that great, but, you know, I like to think of myself as being a great one here on here. And um, I did that all throughout middle school. And the minute I hit ninth grade, I decided not to do it. Not because I didn't want to run, but because I didn't want to get any darker. Mm. I stopped going outside. I stopped um, exercising outside in the same way that I used to. Anytime a friend wanted to go hiking or something like that, I didn't want to go because I didn't want to get any darker. And um, it's been a really interesting thing to unpack as I got older, because when I was a part of a program called the Doris Duke Conservation Scholars Program, I spent an entire summer outside in the sun. And I remember feeling super uncomfortable at the time because I thought that I was beyond, you know, 13, 14 year old Wawa and being impacted by the comments and side comments that family members would make to me. But then I was, you know, 19 years old out in the sun trying to hide. And I was like, wait a second, I am still being impacted by those things that were told that were told to me when I was younger. What can I do to unravel those things? And I started having conversations with the other black people on the program and the things that I was hearing about similar experiences saw similar thought processes that they were going through at the same time really opened this window on my mind of, oh my goodness, if I'm going to do research someday, why not address something like this? That is such an obvious barrier, but it seems like most of the research that's done about, you know, Black people going outside is deals with, you know, transportation or monetary reasons, which are obviously very, very important, but the whole point of breaking barriers are breaking them all the way. It's not just, you know, little holes. We need to break down full barriers. We have to understand the problem. And that requires folks that live the problem to be a part of researching and creating the solutions of ourselves. No, that's beautiful. And I just want to say for all the little 13 or 14 year old wild wives who are listening to the uh, amazing wild wild right now, that, um, you know, the one thing that I, I know what she's saying, that I just want to say that, obviously, uh, black skin is beautiful. <laughs> facts. And I just wanted to, facts. It's facts. And it's this, and, and so if you're listening to this, um, do not let anything hinder you from going outside and being as beautiful and as black and brown or red or whatever that hue is mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and let it glow. Um, and that's important because what you're saying there is that 
and I, I never heard it before actually about how I mean, we've heard about how young women have stopped being in science, right? At the, at a certain age, and we need to stop that. We've heard definitely how young women have stopped being in sports. Um, you've kind of connected both of those just now and saying that literally because of um, people's opinions, racism, um, white yeah. supremacy, um, that that hindered you from literally being engaged with what, which is the environment, which is literally going outside to to just be outside. Um, do you think that has an impact on our community, um, one, to understand what, what it means to be an environmentalist? Oh, for sure. And the first thing that I'll say is it even goes right back to the concept of the environment as including our physical bodies. Mm. So when we think about, say, colorism as a barrier and our self-confidence as being something that has been impacted by white supremacy and white beauty standards, the thing that we have to do in response is really ensure that especially young people are being taught different ways to really have self-love in the face of all this. Mm. And that's why environmental education also needs to make a turn towards having curriculums that include our bodies, include self-love, include understanding how beautiful our melanin is, how important it is for us to be physically out in those spaces in the midst of all these things that are coming at us. And if there was curriculum that dealt with self-love and gave young people those skills, then making the connection with why the environment is our physical bodies is much easier because it's 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 that tangible. The connection is wow. right there. And I think when you talk about the, the definition of environmentalist, it's so interesting that you look at polling, right? In the U.S., Black and brown people, Black and Latinos are most likely to care about climate change mm-hmm. than anyone else. Yeah, when we look into mainstream environmental representation, the folks at Big Greens, the folks at Little Greens, the people that we think of that are hiking, spending time in nature, the folks that conceptualize an environment, the environment, we're not really there. <laughs> and it's this stark, you know, it's a, it's a stark reality of what the environmental movement portrays itself to be, intentionally frames itself to be. And then the actual attitudes that show that Black people are environmentalists. You think of zero-waste lifestyles, eco-conscious, minimalist lifestyles that are inherently Black and Indigenous, period. Yes. You know? But when people think about it today, they think of, you know, like white influencers on Instagram. And like, yeah, I guess that's valid, but that's not it. In fact they got that very language from us. So um, it's it's one of those things where I think Black people tend to inherently be environmentalists, but it's a matter of the framing that the mainstream environmental movement has really perpetuated that needs to change. I think that call has to be on the environmental movement, not on the Black community to shift that because, you know, we're already, we are environmentalists. No, sorry. I mean, I mean, you're hitting on some amazing points here. And I just want to just kind of this, I think it's important for those who are listening right now, they're probably saying that, man, this is, you know, an, 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 a, an important aspect to look at more carefully. So, for instance, what you're saying is this. If 50 years from now, the movement for black lives was run by majority white people, 
even though the movement for black lives is about literally fighting for the lives of black people from police brutality, from environmental destruction, from the list goes on, right? But 50 years down the road from now, somehow, some way, uh, in uh, uh, 2070, that movement is being led by large organizations that are run by white people. Something went wrong. Something definitely went wrong, right? Something went left. And if the black people then are trying to then convince the people are trying to say that, hey, this this movement for black lives really should have black people leading in this movement. And so somewhere along the line, the climate movement is has went left, in which it is a movement that is the impacts of first and worst uh, impacting people of color. It is folks, people of color, who are concerned about the environment, but they are not the ones who are now leading this movement. And so somehow over the past 50 years, from the Cuyahoga River being on fire, from the smog in L.A., from literally folks in Warren County, North Carolina, somewhere along the lines, this move, and I don't, I don't want to say the term hijacked, but I want to say that it definitely went left. So what you're saying now that it needs to make a turn, the question then becomes, how do we make that turn? How do we how do we do that? And that may go into literally, you know, what is black girl environmentalist? Because I think you're 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 using that as a way to do that turn. Yeah. Um, you know, whenever someone asks me that, I always I always turn to Dorcia Taylor's work or Dr. Dorcia mm. Taylor's work with the green. 2.0, and I believe they just released the 2020 report, which I haven't read super in depth. So please correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong. But the trends of the Green Report 2.0, for those of y'all that are listening and aren't familiar with that, that's essentially an annual report that looks at the demographic composition of the environmental space, from you know big greens to philanthropic um, organizations. To, to governmental, environmental um, organizations, et cetera. And what it has shown is that so people of color make up 36% of the United States. We barely pass, you know, a 15, 16% green ceiling. Mm. And this is obviously a huge problem, as we do know that it by I think like what 20, 2050, the United States is going to be predominantly people of color. So when it comes to having a movement that is, um, you know, made in the image of all of us and has solutions that are cognizant of the experiences of the majority of folks in the United mm-hmm. States, it's imperative that our demographics represent that. And that's not at all pushing away, you know, white environmentalists from that space. White environmentalists deserve to have a space in the environmental movement. So do black people. So do Latinos. So do Asian folks you know, and folks that exist on the intersection of all those different race races. So I think something that needs to happen and something that those reports often talk about is the green ceiling needs to be obliterated. It needs Facts. to be done away with. Facts. There should be no green ceiling. Um, and, and a lot of it does go back to the classroom. Um, a lot of it does go back to the fact that in 2016, only 2% of the folks that graduated with environmental science degrees were black. Wow. 
And at the end of the day, when we think of these green spaces and green workforces, which are incredibly hard to break into, I'll say even for myself, <laughs> looking at jobs, there aren't many out there, one. Um, and two, the things that they require you to have, you know, it. You most of the time you need to have, you know, environmental science degree, environmental studies, you have to have some, you know, curriculum that dealt with environmental, environmentalism or traditional environmentalism. And when we already don't have folks of color graduating from those degrees, that's already one thing. But we also have to think about work cultures. Those reports also look at the fact that there isn't a lot of retention of folks of color in yeah. green workspaces. So that needs to be understood. So oftentimes, right, people are always talking about pipeline programs that need to be put in place. And yes, 100%, I'm the product of a pipeline program. I don't think I would have gotten the internships in undergrad had I not had an entire program behind me supporting me and getting my foot in the door in big green. I simply don't think I would have. Well, however, no, go ahead, go um, ahead, go ahead, definitely. <laughs> but however, once we get into those spaces, if we're not staying, then there needs to be a lot of internal work on looking at why. Yeah, no, I, well, I want you, you said a, you said a lot there, why, why? I want to make just unpack that. Let's not just let's not just let that one go on the luggage carousel here. Let's let's get that luggage there and unpack it because you said some great things that are important for our movement to understand. One, let me preface this by saying that I think that um, the reason why this conversation is so important is that people like you, your your colleagues, are what we need to literally save our planet. I believe that it is important for uh, black uh, men, women, um, young people, brown, red, and white, humans, all of us. We need to come together. But it's very important for us to have people of color in this movement. So to what you said about Green 2.0, let me just say there are two things to that. What why was this saying? The first thing is that it just doesn't add up with the amount of people who are working for the large environmental organizations, and particularly in higher up positions too, and and running the organization and management, then to the, the 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 amount of people who are literally in the country in those communities in the world, it just doesn't balance out. You have literally fifteen percent, twenty percent within certain communities, maybe less if you're in different states. Um, but definitely where a lot of these organizations are based, New York and in D.C. and San Francisco, it can even be higher. It can be 50% in some cases. And it's literally the percentage of people who are working there are 10%, 15%. Also, what you said, which is very important, is that it also places that not only is it just a, um, an equity issue or a diverse issue or an uh, issue of inclusion, but the thing that I think what you said is very important is a, a place of being safe that the retention issue is is not is also a problem that that literally people are coming to these organizations they they want to save the planet they want to work on environmental and climate justice they want to use all these great skills they learned but they're not feeling safe so they're literally fighting for a safe world but not feeling safe in the workplace that those are problems, and so Green 2.0, you're right, has done some amazing. And I would encourage you, if you're listening, to please go to this. This Google Green 2.0. I would also add to this, why, why one thing I think is important in this conversation, as you are leading an organization yourself, 
Um, I think Green 2.0 is important, meaning that people of color working for large green organizations um, and being safe in those environments. I also think that we need a Green 3.0 in which we have black and brown and red organizations um, that are that have as much importance and focus and particularly funding for the entity. So before I just say we uh, ha- you hire uh, black and brown and red people, I would rather black, brown, and red people actually run the organizations to the level of the large organizations. I would love for that to be the case as well. What are your thoughts on that? 100%, 100%. Um, you know, a couple a couple months ago, I had the honor of, of talking to Peggy Shepard, um, who is, is someone that I look up Amazing. to very, very we act. <laughs> incredible. And she she said something during during the interview that has stuck with me. And I ended up reading a report on this. And she said, you know, in, in the entire green space, environmental justice only gets 1% of funding. And I had no idea. I mean, when I thought about it and I thought about like programming focuses a- across the green space, it, it made sense, but it really blew my mind. And the more that I, that the more that I thought about that, and the more that I think about your question and the fact that there needs to be a focus on, you know, uh, BIPOC led environmental and climate organizations, the more that I realized that when it comes to, to grants and funding, there needs to be more done to put money into our organizations rather than asking for, um, you know, big green organizations per se, per se that have been struggling to include yes. EJ and struggling to include BIPOC folks into their spaces. Why not just give those funds then and prioritize folks that are already doing Come that? Come on now, Wawa. Wow, wow. say, that, say that again live for folks in the back of the room. Say that. <laughs> <laughs> They're already ingrained within, within, the mission, within the mission statement. That's right. And I think of the fact Right. You, you actually asked about this earlier, and I apologize. I realized I didn't um, address this, but the Black Girl Environmentalist is a very, very new organization. And it was created mostly out of that frustration, the frustration that um, I myself felt, a lot of the folks in the community felt, and being, you know, people of color in environmental spaces and feeling like we're constantly forcing our narrative and constantly forcing issues of climate justice and environmental justice into places that almost felt like they didn't care or it was a side thought or an add-on. And we just thought, you know what, let's make a space where it's just, it's absolutely our priority from the jump. You know, it's not something we add on five years later, 10 years later. It's our absolute priority because it's absolutely a part of our lives, our vitality right now, tomorrow, for our children, our grandchildren. And I think it's important to support folks like us that are taking the initiative to really create a climate future that is invested in black and brown lives. Amen. I'm pumped up here. Why, why you got me, got me on the bandwagon. Uh, You know what I mean? So, so, so so I I know the title is black girl environmentalist. So can every, can all black people, is it specifically just for black girls? So yes, we get, we get that question a lot. So black girl environmentalist is a supportive community that is meant intentionally to support black girls, black women, and black non-binary environmentalists. And it's done so because there isn't space that we know of in the environmental space that particularly um, uplifts us, is creates content and programmatic 
um, opportunities that are facilitated for and by us. That said, it is a community that is open for involvement of all folks across the diaspora, regardless of um, you know uh, gender. However, it is important to say that the focus is on uplifting and prioritizing uh, Black girls, Black women, and Black non-binary environmentalists. So I love it. Every I'm Black with person it. is. I'm with it. If y'all want to come and join our book clubs, that's, that's totally fine. I'm with it. You listen. I'm I'm with it. Listen, Black girl magic will save the planet. Facts. That's, that's a fact. It's a, let, let, that, let that ring from the top of the rooftop. You mentioned something that's also very important there. You mentioned about environmental studies. Where'd you go to undergrad? I went to undergrad at the University of Connecticut. Oh, okay, you're you, Husky. I am a Husky. That's what's up. You can't. That's what's up. I mean, as I said, I mean, you know, so I, I played basketball in college. That's why I know all the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I know the UConn stuff. So that's that's wonderful. So did you uh, play any sports while you're you? Well, you just said you didn't. You start running track when you were in ninth grade, but did you play sports yeah. at UConn, uh, or you just no? I I tried to be active, but you know uh, things fall out of. <laughs> no, no, no. That's cool. Listen, you... like every year, my my New Year's resolution was. I was on an intramural like club sports team with like my residential hall for two weeks freshman year. <laughs> So I was kind of. But where did you play basketball? I went. I went to University of the District of Columbia, um, and I played. I played basketball there, and then that's where I went. I went. So I went there. Listen, my so my dad taught at Howard. My dad was the dean of African American Studies at Howard wow. University, uh, and so, and then he literally was waiting to retire because he knew you can get like a scholarship by going to the school. But I wanted to play basketball. So then I, I went to UDC because nobody would take me. So they the only one who really would take me. So I went there and I and I, I, I played a little basketball. It was great though. I had a I had a great time. I mean, it was actually one of my one of my one of my moments. But to your intramural part, I had to play intramural tennis. And I was horrible in tennis. And I'll never forget. They would just come out there and it would just give me the hardest time in that process. So when you were there, you are so you were an environmental studies major then, right? Mm-hmm. That's what's up. Yeah. That, that's that's fantastic. So cause then you wrote this amazing article in Vice, um, and it was titled "It's Time for Environmental Studies to Own Up to Erasing Black People." Um, so as a recent graduate, you know, in environmental studies, you know, how are black people being erased? Yeah. Um, I don't want to go off topic, but I just have to tell you this. Lots of respect for you for being a college athlete. My little sister is a college athlete. I appreciate and that. Seeing the way that she works so hard to balance schoolwork and that basically another job on top of all of that is so commendable and that work ethic is unreal. So I just listen, have to that. listen, I'm not <laughs> going to, you're not off topic. We're going to go back to erasing black people in a second. They've been trying to erase black folk for a long time. So we can talk a little, we can talk a little sports now. Then you can say that. And I, and I, and I, and let me say this. There actually, one of the things about being at a black college, because when I, and being, so being at, at UDC for undergrad and being at a black college um, and playing sports at a black college um, was an experience to, to for sure, because you would, go to other black schools and one just the music and people were more interested in the band than actually the game. It was actually, it was a great, great, a great thing. 
But you're right. I, I was in a position um, where, um, as not only as a, not only as a, a playing basketball, but as a student activist. And I would just say to anybody, you're right, balancing those things, being a whole human being is what's important. And I think a lot of people in our movement forget about what it means to be human. They get, they get really caught up in just the dire consequences and they forget about the, the excitement of poetry and music and sports and everything. I think that's what I think what we bring to this process. And I, so, thank you for that. I appreciate that. And, and good luck. And, and, and your sister, where is she in school? Is she at UConn too? Where is she? She isn't. She goes to Western State. I always I WCSU, which is like Western Connecticut State University. So it's in Danbury, Connecticut. Yeah. yeah so yeah. she. Yeah, she's a nursing major and does field hockey at the same time. I don't know how she does it, but she is so hardworking and it's wild. So well, tell her Rev said congratulations. And I will, and, I will. I'll text her right yeah, after. Yeah, tell her went and 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 went at the post post COVID win some games and gotta yeah. gotta check out check check that out. So you wrote this article in Vice. So tell me tell me about that. Actually, so why did so when you did you pick Vice? Because Vice is kind of for the culture a little bit. Did you want to be in Vice yeah. for that very reason and not in some other magazine? So I actually had never written. Um, well, that's not that's not true. So let me back step. So when I was little, I, I wanted to be a lot of things when I grew up. I mean, every single year there's something different. But the thing that probably stuck the longest was being a journalist. Mm. And when I was younger, I was a reporter for Scholastic News and Sports Illustrated for kids. And I used to write articles for large publications and I really enjoyed it. And as I got older, it just fell off. I don't know what happened. And I always have been a writer all my life and I, and I write a lot, but I've always been so nervous about publishing anything. So it was near the end of senior year, which was virtual. And I was just, thinking back on my experience as an environmental studies student. And I said, okay, I want to write about this mm. because I'm frustrated and I need to have a place to talk about this. And I had read Vice's Tipping Point series, which is a series that focuses on environmental justice. And that was the only series that I had seen and engaged with regularly. And I thought, I'm going to try to get published. So I just emailed the, the tipping point email. And this was actually, I emailed um, them back in May. So that was before this whole, um, you know, reckoning in the environmental movement of anti-Blackness was at the forefront, forefront in June, July, August. And it just so happened that while I was in communication with them on whether or not I'd write it, everything hit the fan. Mm. And suddenly they were like, can you write this actually next week? when we were talking about writing it in two months, three months, I was like, okay, how do I put down everything that I want to on in, you know, 800,000 words? How do I do this? And for four days, I just sat on my laptop and just wrote and deleted and wrote and deleted. And that was basically, that was the most emotional piece of writing that I've ever written. And if you read it, it probably doesn't sound super emotional, but it was a very emotional process for me of uh, being honest to write down even, I think about leaving the climate space. I actually left that out. And my editor was like, no, put that back in. Mm. I was like, oh. No, so then, so then 
do you still feel that way that we are being erased in that aspect? For sure. I think that title um, is something that will take a lot of time for that not to be true because it has a very real historic context that absolutely informs the present. And informing the future requires us to understand how the present has been informed by the past, which is something that I think the environmental movement really struggles to do because the environmental space is known as being a progressive one. And arguably it is, right? There are a lot of great people in the environmental space. I mean, climate work isn't necessarily fun work, I mean, nobody does climate work for, for the hell of it. It's, it's about fighting for a just future. And it's, it's, it's a lot of self-love work, actually. But I think what ends up happening is because it's known as being so progressive, because there are so many, quote unquote, good people in this movement, we forget that the way that the movement operates and who's funded and, and what programs are put at the forefront and how we understand the environment and who we understand as environmentalists, how that's been impacted by the racist founders of the environmental movement that we still uplift, that are still quoted in our classrooms as these people that conceptualize wilderness, nature, as the folks that, you know, really created the foreground of the way that we understand the mainstream environmental movement. And as we continue to uplift these racist individuals that had racist ideologies, it'd be a lie to say those ideologies haven't permeated its way into the very foundation and the way that this movement operates. And the way that we disentangle ourselves from that history and creating a, a future that is inherently just and doesn't make the mistakes of the past, we have to face that head on. And unfortunately, our classes don't prepare folks for that which then leads us to a movement of folks that haven't been well-equipped with history, mm. with understanding the way that fieldwork requirements for students, for employees, are a lot of times unsafe. Well, I agree with you. I think for me, though, the thing as you're, as you're, as you're, I mean, so one, I feel that the movement is, is progressive. Let's be clear. I'm going to say that. It's, it's a progressive movement, and we want to... But, and I know but means I just canceled out everything I just said before I said it. <laughs> um, um, but the thing for me is this. Um, I, I, We just got finished talking about the need for your organization, for Black Girl Environmentalists. We just got finished talking about Green 2.0. We just got finished talking about um, you're now at Oxford and you're, you're, you have all these amazing scholarships and you're doing these, um, this amazing work. We kept talking about how you wrote an article um, not saying, wow, you know, progressive environmental movement, you're doing great work, but you literally wrote an article in Vice about how they're erasing black people in some of the, in the studies that you're trying to do. So we just got finished talking about that. So I, we just, people just got finished listening to us talk about that just for, just for a good little bit. Then we come to this, this amazing fork in a row where we just want to, I mean, we want them to do well because we know how important it is for all of us to do well, that we then kind of opened the door again and said, okay, but they're progressive. So I guess for me is that when do we, 
call a spade a spade. When do we say that, listen, um, you know, it shouldn't have taken Breonna Taylor or George Floyd in, you know, in 2020 for you. You should have saw this, to be honest, you should have saw this at the beginning of the environmental movement. When you were creating the modern environmental movement, when EPA was created, you should have saw this when black people were being slaughtered um, in the streets after the, the killing of Dr. King. You should have seen this when they were building ghettos and, and, and putting up concrete and highways. Uh, you should have you saw this when literally our, our native sisters and brothers were fighting for you not to um, dig up their barrier grounds, either for pipelines or to put up this monuments. Um, you should have you should have seen this for the past fifty years, and so um, you should have saw it during Katrina. You should have saw it during Harvey. You should have saw it during Hurricane Maria. You should have saw it during Superstorm Sandy. You should have seen it. In other words, I guess at what point <laughs> do we then stop giving folks a pass to be like you that to say that this? If you're truly serious about an anti-racist movement, you're giving out hundreds of millions of dollars to the same organizations that are literally ninety percent white. Well, you have these amazing organizations around that have to then give you a thesis, like the one you were doing for Oxford, to get a, a $10,000 grant by folks can write on a napkin and get a million dollars. When do we, as people of color, say that, listen, you know, maybe it's not so progressive. Maybe it's not so honky-dory. When do we come to that point, or do we just keep just giving folks a pass? That's a really good question. And I think I have to think about that for some time. But I think for me and the people that I'm in community with, the way that we've kind of answered that question has been in creating Black Girl Environmentalists, has been, I know Destiny's here, you know, creating Generation Green, creating spaces that aren't even, I, I struggle, I, you know, I don't like to say corrective because corrective then means that we're doing something just because we're trying to fix something when we're just doing something because that's just the way it should be. So we're creating these spaces and these organizations that are doing it right. And that's that's that. My priority right now, I, again, I don't, I, I know I'm not giving you a clear answer, but the only thing that I know is that my priority right now and for the future is to help support other folks of color, create um, an environmental movement that is cognizant of our lives. And my energy is in supporting us and doing that. And I'm frankly tired of having to, you know, be the only black person, the only, uh, you know, Gen Zer, the only. Um, you know, woman of color and mainstream environmental spaces. I'm tired. I, you know, I'm young. I, I shouldn't have wrinkles and I'm, you know, 22, you know, I, 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 that's just not, it's not for me right now. So right now my priority is in uplifting us and putting my energy there. No, thank you for that. Wawa. And I, and while you actually, you did answer the question. It's not an easy question. It's not an easy answer because it's one in which, you know, you said it. We're, we're tired of fighting with people who should be on our side. That 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 we just need that needs to stop. And my hope is that through this platform, people listen to you right now. They will they will hear that, and they will be like, you know, we got to fix it because that's where we are. 
Now, let me just say this. A couple of things. just want to say that I know you have some stuff you have coming up with Black History Month Project um, called Reclaiming Our Time. What is that? Yes. So thank you for asking that. Um, Reclaiming Our Time is Black Girl Environmentalist's first campaign. And it first emerged as an educational campaign. So we have this frustration of the fact that a lot of us are environmental students and never were introduced to indigenous scholars, black scholars, Latino scholars, Asian scholars that have totally been a part of environmental scholarship, the environmental movement, but are constantly given the John Muir text, the Thoreau text, the Madison Grant-esque environmentalism. And we said, let's create a campaign in line with Black History Month to reconsider the genealogy of the environmental movement. Let's talk about W.E.B. Du Bois and his work as an environmentalist. Mm. Let's talk about Harriet Tubman, who was a naturalist, a birder, a healer. You know, she was the environmentalist. Mm. She was the naturalist and is barely understood as such. And we said, okay, let's use Instagram, which is a platform that is really, really good at getting information across the masses as a way to create content to really celebrate the contribution that Black people have had in the environmental space. But then we started thinking about what are tangible things that we can do to celebrate Black life in life, Black people making history. And we said, let's team up with prominent platforms, sustainability platforms, celebrities, big green organization, folks that have a lot of followers, that have a lot, a large platform, a large audience. And let's match them up with Black climate activists from around the world who are doing work that are working to save our planet, working to ensure that we have a just climate future, but are simultaneously ignored by the media, simultaneously underfunded, and simultaneously not given their time. Let's reclaim our time. Let's have them pair up with these prominent um, platforms, and let's have those platforms give them their platform for a day or more. Let's have those platforms put their money where their mouth is and donate to those activists as individuals or organizations. Let's make sure that um, there is a mutual um, give and take in this situation. And let's make sure that Instagram for the month of February is being introduced to the great work that Black environmentalists are doing all around the world. And I will say while we are populating the entire month of February, the goal of the campaign is to continue long after February. It's just a great opportunity to start the campaign since Black Girl Environmentalist is new and is a really great way for us also to network with other Black climate activists and organizers from around the world because um, it, it tends to be hard, particularly for those of us that are in different continents to connect with each other. I love it. I love that. I love that. I love that. I'm a Harriet Tubman fan, so I, I love I love that. And I gotta I gotta get me a, a Harriet Tubman T-shirt that says I'm a black environmentalist. I got I got that's, actually I need to get me a Harriet Tubman with the black girl black girl environmentalist. That, that's that's what I need. I need I need that. That's what I'm I need that in my life. How can folks if they want to get in contact with you or black girl environmentalists? How can they do that? Yes. So um, follow us on Instagram at Black Girl Environmentalist. And if you're interested, if you yourself are or know of a Black climate or environmental activist, um, please have them 
come to our page and into our bio, there's a form. And from there, we can work to connect you with a prominent platform or brand. And if you are someone that is in contact with and are a part of, uh, it doesn't even necessarily need to be prominent in having like millions of followers. I think I'm, I'm using the term prominent. It's just folks that have an audience. We're, we're willing to engage anyone, whether having five followers, a million followers, it doesn't really matter. We're just trying to get the word out there. So if you want to have your platform uh, contributed towards this reclaiming of Black time and energy, please do so. And uh, doing so will help you support that Black organizer slash activist and their work through the donation that you can uh, give them in exchange. And also Black Girl Environmentalists, for those of you that are Black Girl Environmentalists listening, please follow our page and uh, we'll Continue into our newsletter, which is full of uh, job opportunities, fellowships, internship board, alongside different ways to engage in the community through book clubs and happy hours slash Zooms, where we discuss things that we talked about in our clubhouse. That's what's up. <laughs> that is what's up. So before I let you go, I do have one last question for you. And actually, thank you, Wawa, because you, I actually asked you a couple of good hard ones just a minute ago. You, you handed all of them. Um, with with flying colors. This, this actually might be might be the hardest one right now, though. This is actually, woo! This might be the hardest. Okay. This might be the hardest one coming at you. So, Wawa, two favorite artists. If you had to, if you could only take two with you in the suitcase, who who's going with you on on your on your next journey across the pond? Yeah, this is a really hard. I'm a very indecisive person. I I mean, those of anyone is watching that um, is into astrology. I'm a Gemini moon, so I'm very indecisive. So if you were to ask me this oh, man. yesterday versus today. Yeah, you know, Trump was also Gemini. It's a Gemini so sign. A bit know. different. So, uh, okay. <laughs> for instance, Obama was a Gemini moon too. So, you know. Oh, okay, okay. Let, good, good catch. Good catch on that one. <laughs> let me think. Oh, my goodness. I also, oh. You too. That is very, very hard because now I'm thinking about if I was willing to listen to two, am I going to choose the folks that have the largest, you know, discographies that have the most amount of music so that I can listen to some variety? Am I going to go based off of lyricism or, you know, vocal mm. ability? You got two. You got two, Wawa. You got it. So sorry. It. I literally just am blanking. Like, give I me five seconds. Question. I just really need to think. No, you got it. You know, I, I immediately want to say Lauren Hill, but when I then think, okay, okay, you know, I'll say Lauren Hill's one. Yeah, um, yeah, Lauren's good. I like Lauren. Lauren's a good one. I like Lauren. Lauren is good. Lauren Hill. You know good, what? I might, there. I'll say her because I do listen okay. for the past three years. I listen to her probably every day. Okay. So. But you got, you got, you got two though. You got, I'm not to make it hard on you, but you got two. You got Lauren and somebody else. Who else you got? Who, who's, your, who's your other person? Like the artist. Oh, so that's her. only one person. Oh, her. Oh, 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 her. Her. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought you. I thought you meant her, like Lauren Hill. <laughs> no, her. No. Oh, that's great. So you got Lauren Hill and her. I love that. So you're not going to be like really smooth in the process. Yeah. I love that. That's really peaceful. Well, Wawa, as you. We we gotta make sure we gotta we gotta get some uh, Lauren Hill and her to play in the background, but I thank you so much for joining us here on the coolest show, and I wish you um, and Black Girl Environmentalists all the success 
in the world. Uh, thank you so much, Rev, for having me on here. Um, and it's, it's such an honor. I mean, you're a legend. I feel very, very honored to be able to be on this award-winning podcast that I personally have listened to a lot. So I feel very, very thankful to have shared this space with you. Um, yeah, so thank you so much. And that is our guest today, Wawa Gatheru. She is the founder of Black Girl Environmentalist. And I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Fake100Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you know.